Get your day started with a breakfast full of positive music, fun, inspiration and so much more. Rise and shine with Felon DJ. Weekday mornings on Vision. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media. Thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher, with a straight talking message from the Word. One step at a time, because with the Word of God comes the power of God to enable you to achieve your victories. Today with Jeff Vines. Welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. I'm Bill. Thanks for joining me. And this week, Pastor Jeff digs deeper into the life and actions of Gideon. And it's about a whole bunch of principles we can learn from Scripture so that we can live in closer connection with God. Let's get into it now. And if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, we're in Judges chapter 6 to 8. This is Today with Jeff Vines. We can either live one, seeing everything that happens in our lives as an accident with no meaning, no purpose, no hope, nothing, and that everything that does happen is just dumb bad luck when you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, or you can start to see that God has fashioned this universe together. And if you live life believing that God has fashioned us, then there's meaning and purpose to every event of our lives, not just the big events, but the small events too, because God is always working. One of my favorite illustrations comes from Dr. John Polkinghorn, who's the professor of quantum theory at Cambridge University. So he's not liking intellectually. And he says, when you understand the expansion and contraction, the relationship between the expansion and contraction of the universe in the early picoseconds, a picosecond is the time that it takes something traveling the speed of light to cross a hair's breadth. So if you understand the relationship between the expansion and contraction of the universe in the early picoseconds, you would recognize that the fine-tuning required to bring beauty and pattern and design out of this chaos would have been like taking a bow and arrow and firing it across the universe 20 billion light years away and hitting the bullseye every single time. So here's the point. We're supposed to live lives like that. Polkinghorne goes on to say, if God can bring beauty and pattern and design out of the early chaos of the universe, then he can bring beauty and pattern and design out of the chaos of my life. Now, we're in a series called Wildlife, and that's basically what we're saying. You have to begin to look at the details of your life, small things, big things, medium things, as God's divine intervention in your life to accomplish a greater goal, to do something in your life that's extraordinary. And so when unfortunate events come into your life, you can't see them as bad, dumb luck. You have to see them as the sovereign hand of God. So in order to demonstrate this, we've gone to Judges chapter six through eight, and we're looking at the narrative of a man named Gideon. God is going to use the events of Gideon's life, as unfortunate as they are, as preparation for a major victory in his life. God knows that if he's gonna use Gideon for this fantastic accomplishment, this extraordinary victory, then he's going to have to shape and form Gideon through these unfortunate events. So at the right time and the right place, Gideon experiences this incredible victory because he responds step-by-step step appropriately to the events that are happening in his life. 
You know, something that was written years ago, we still don't know exactly who wrote it, but it's been quoted by some of the most famous pastors, preachers, teachers, and even those who aren't pastors, those who are just trying to motivate us to think about how the divine works. The words were written, when God wants to drill a man, thrill a man, skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed, watch his method, watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects, how he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay, which God only understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands, how he bends but never breaks, when his good he undertakes, how he uses whom he chooses and which every purpose fuses him, but every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's all about. There is no doubt that those who have lived the wild life have been forged in the pit. Now just stop for a moment before we get into the second principle. Are we saying that God uses every event of your life for one major event, for something to happen in the future where you have the chance to respond to unfortunate circumstances in such a way that releases the divine energy of God and something incredible happens, immeasurably more than you could ever hope for or imagine? That's exactly what we're saying. We're saying that you will have victories along the way, but we believe, and we believe the Bible teaches that all of us are prepared, that we have come into this moment for such a time as this. And so as we take a look at Gideon, we must remember uh, the Midianites, we've said is a well-trained army. There are 135,000 of them and they're seeking to impoverish the land of Israel to exterminate them by starvation. So on one side, you have these well-trained warriors, 135,000 of them. On the other side, you have the Israelite farmers. They are a bunch of farmers. They love to grow and eat food. That's just what they do. They're not fighters. The Midianites are so cruel that rather than to annihilate them in one fell swoop, which we said last week, they could because there's 135,000 of them down in the valley, they just exterminate the crops every year. They're just punishing, they're torturing, they're exterminating by starvation. Finally, the Bible tells us in Judges chapter six that the people pray and we hear this, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. God heard their cry. God calls Gideon, but Gideon must learn these seven principles that we've been dealing with in order to experience the victory. Last week, principle one was this. We said, God intends on using the unfortunate events of my life as faith builders leading to the greatest accomplishments of my life. God is an opportunist and every event in your life is training ground and God is watching for the manner in which you respond. He is waiting. He is wanting to equip you for the greatest success of your life. Now, we come to that next part of the narrative and we're learning principle two of the wild life. And here's what it is. God will often require us to do what seems to be unreasonable. God will often require us to do something that seems to be unreasonable. I want you to notice something in the narrative. There are 135,000 Midianites down in the valley. They are well-trained, well-equipped warriors. There are 32,000 farmers on the Israelite side. That's better than a four to one odd. Gideon now moves in as we move to chapter seven. We notice that once Gideon's faith has been built to the level of trusting God, now God calls a board meeting, a staff meeting with Gideon to give him instructions of how this victory is going to happen over the Midianites. Let me read it to you in Judges 7, verse 1. Early in the morning, Jerubbabel, that's Gideon, and all the men, all his men, camped at the spring of Herod. 
The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. Now you think about this. There's 135,000 well-trained warriors against 32,000 farmers. And God says to Gideon, the general who's gonna lead these farmers against these warriors, you have too many men. Now, what would you have done? You probably would have wanted to argue with God. What, what do you mean? Is this the new math? How can I have too many men? I'm already outnumbered, outranked, and outweaponized. But God said, Gideon, you have too many men. So here's what I want you to do. And he gives the men two tests. The first test is a fear test. He says, I want you to go down to the 32,000 men and I want you to tell them, if you're afraid, just raise your hand. Now remember, he's already a four to one odd. He says, raise your hand if you're afraid. The Bible is going to tell us that 22,000 of the 32,000 raised their hand and Gideon said, well, go home, go home. I find this amazing. If I were a farmer and we were outnumbered four to one, I would be afraid, but that's the point. God is teaching Gideon, once I tell you and once I give you the word that you're gonna win this battle and you follow my instructions, there's no room for fear. In fact, in Deuteronomy 22, God gave specific instructions to the Israelites before they would go into battle. He said, do not be afraid because fear breeds fear. One coward breeds another coward. And if you think the battle or the victory belongs to you, then it wouldn't matter what the odds were. The victory belongs to God. Gideon had learned in chapter six that God was with him because God allowed Gideon to lay out that fleece. And he laid out a fleece and he said, God, if it's dry on the ground and wet on the fleece, then I'll know you've spoken. And then he changed his mind and said, well, if it's wet on the ground, dry on the fleece, I'll know you've spoken. God tolerated that to build Gideon's faith. But now that Gideon's faith has been built, God says, go and do what I tell you to do. Now there's a great lesson here. When we're trying to do extraordinary events in our lives or when we're trying to make enormous decisions that have the kind of ramifications that can be life-changing, oftentimes we will believe or say to someone that God told us to do something that God really didn't. It's nothing more than in your mind. And when you do that, you go at it alone without God. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, that's a problem because how do I know if God told me something with certainty? Let me just give you three quick tests. Test number one, if you think the Lord has spoken to you, number one, is it consistent with his word? What you heard from God, is it consistent with the objective word of God? So if somebody comes along and says, you know, God told me I got a piece about this, that it's okay to sleep with this person I'm not married to. No, that's not the voice of God. You know, I've heard God and I believe that God's told me to leave my wife for somebody better. <laughs> no, that's not God. Or God told me it's okay that I behave in this way because it's a weakness and he understands my weakness, so it's okay. No, that's not from God. We're told in scripture that all scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What does that mean? It means that the final judge of anything that you've heard outside the word of God is inside the word of God. That is your objective point of reference to which your feelings and desires and even dreams or the things that you hear must conform. The second test is this, do my mentor and accountability partners agree that this is a word from the Lord? When you think you've heard something from the Lord, it needs to be tested not only by the word, the objective written word, but also it needs to be tested by those around you that you trust to give you appropriate wisdom. Ecclesiastes 4 says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. 
You need wise friends around you. If you say, well, I don't have accountability partners, I don't have a mentor. Well, then you gotta go back a step. Get a mentor, get accountability partners. They can speak truth into your life even when it's hard to hear. A few years ago, I was offered a job to be a teacher and deliver Bible studies on the Professionals Golf Association. So I was offered a job, the potential possibility of being the chaplain on the PGA Tour. Now, I thought that was right from the Lord, and I did because I really thought that'd be a cool job. And for a while, I entertained it until my accountability partners and my mentor basically said to me, Jeff, that is not the way God has gifted you. You're not supposed to be playing golf all your life and get even a couple of devotions as the weeks go by. No, God has called you to something greater, something beyond. And then my eyes were open and I realized that they were right. The third test after, is it consistent with the word? Do my mentor and accountability partners agree that this is a word from the Lord? Is does the word that I've heard from, the God, from God build the body of Christ or destroy it? That's crucial. The decision I'm about to make, this word that I think I've heard from God, will it build the community of God or will it detract from it? Will it tear it down? When I was in Indianapolis recently, I heard a pastor tell me these words. God told me to plant a satellite campus across the street from my old church. No, he didn't. God did not tell you to go plant a church competing with the church you grew up in across the street. That's not how we do things. We honor the work God is doing in places, and we're very careful to encourage the body of Christ as a whole, not just to do something that will build our kingdom, but will tear down the kingdom of God. Once you hear the word of the Lord, there's no room for reason for fear, though. That's the point of Gideon's story. God speaks to you through his word. When you hear his voice, then it's time to trust. And if you don't move forward, then you cheat yourself out of these little victories that lead to ultimate victories. So for some of you in your life, God has been telling you for a long, long time to give the first fruits of your life to his kingdom and building God's kingdom on the earth. But you don't do it because you're afraid and you don't trust and you believe that the word of God that you've heard will not bring about the ramifications that you desire. Some of you have been told to leave a job a long time ago because it requires you to do things that are lacking in integrity and character, but you're afraid that God will not provide another one. So it's not that you haven't heard the word of God, it's you basically your love and trust, you have issues in that area with God. Some of you have heard to break up a relationship and you've heard that for a long time, but you're afraid to do that and you're afraid to do that because you're afraid you won't get another relationship that meets your needs in the way this one does. God, in reality, when he speaks to you, it's because he has a better plan a better way to prosper you, a better relationship, a better job, a better idea with how to use your resources. Ultimately, fear is doubt that God is in control and there's no place for it after you've heard the word of God because the battle ultimately belongs to him. When God speaks to you, you obey and, and, and allow the results, the ramifications of your decisions to rest in the arms of a God who has your best intentions in mind. So once you hear from God, go. Go, get it done. Don't try to figure it all out. One step at a time, because with the word of God comes the power of God to enable you to achieve your victories. Uh, I've mentioned before, one of the things I did when I was younger is run marathons. I'll never do it again, but I used to try to run marathons. And there is a time at running a marathon around the 21 mile marker, and it's different for everyone, that I would hit a wall. And those last miles, those last five miles seemed to be... Uh, impossible to complete. And I learned a lesson from my father-in-law. He said, when you get to that point where you've hit the wall, don't think about how far you still have to go. Just pick a point about 50 yards in front of you and run there. Accomplish that and then pick another point 50 yards ahead and run there. And try to 
complete the marathon in 50 yard increments. Something that happens in your mind will enable you then to make the journey. When God asks you to do something that's very difficult, most of us try to go to the end and think, how on earth am I gonna get there? And the answer is by 24 hour increments, do what is right each day and eventually little by little we'll make a bundle and this extraordinary victory will become yours. Now there's another side to this. You know, it's interesting. I am, uh, I'm somewhat surprised that one of the most popular messages uh, according to the people in Australia through our media is a message I did entitled, Why Don't I Feel My Faith? And a popular line in that message is that we have lost our ability to feel God because we've lost our willingness to obey Him. Now, there's a great lesson to learn here. When you hear the Word of God, no matter how difficult it is, if you wanna live the wild life, you obey it, trust Him for the outcomes, but realize as well, you will never feel the presence of God quite like the time you will feel it when you've obeyed God in a hard area of living. One of my favorite proof texts of this is Exodus 3, when Moses goes to God and says, God, I don't, I, how do I know you're gonna be with me? You've asked me to deliver the people out of the promised land. How do I know you're gonna really be with me? And God's answer in Exodus 3:12 is this. God said, I will be with you. This will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. Now listen to the sign. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. You hear what God is saying? Moses, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign after I've helped you through this, after I've coached you through this wilderness, after I've brought the people out of Egypt into the promised land, here's your sign. You're gonna stand on the mountain and worship me. You're gonna look back at all my great works, the miraculous I have performed, the miraculous events I have performed, and you will worship me on the mountain. You want proof? Here's the proof. If you do what I ask you to do, you will experience me in a way you've never experienced me before. Let me say it again, write it down somewhere. With the call of God comes the presence of God to give you the power and the wisdom of God for the greatest victories of your life. With the call of God comes the presence of God to give you the power and the wisdom of God for the greatest victories of your life. Gideon heard the word of the Lord. Gideon said, okay, it's a four to one odd. I got 32,000 men against 135,000, but okay, God, I've got too many. And so everybody raise your hand that's afraid. He sends them home. He's left with 10,000. 10,000 men against 135,000. If, if those are the exact numbers, then the odds would have gone from four to one to 13 to one. But you know what God says now? Verse four, the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. It's an amazing story. I'm surprised Gideon in his flesh didn't kind of lose it and say, God, what are you? I'm down to 13 to one. They're well-trained warriors. We are farmers. How can, how can we have too many men? God said, you have too many men. Gideon said, okay, what next? And he says, I want you to take them down to the spring of Aaron. And I want every man to take a drink. So remember, he's got 10,000 men he's got to watch. I want you to watch how everyone drinks at the spring. Now I've got a little spring behind me, so you can imagine a larger spring. And he said, if someone kneels down on both their knees and laps the water as a dog would drink out of a spring, you watch them. And there, there'll be others who bend down on one knee with one hand on their sword and they will lap the water into their mouth with their hands. He said, everyone that gets down on all fours and laps water like a dog, send them home. And everyone who laps the water into their mouth with their hand, those are the men I'm gonna use to deliver Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Now here's what's happening. If you know the story, 9,700 men of the 10,000 left got down on their hands and knees and lapped water like a dog. And God said, send them home. 300 men. Now, 
if there's exactly 300 Israelites and 135,000 Midianites, that's better than a 450 to one odd. And we're talking about hand-to-hand combat here. So 450 could run upon one and just clobber him to death. And so God says to Gideon with these 300 men, I will deliver Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Now what's happening here? Well, as we look at the narrative, we, we learned that the spring of Haran was just adjacent to the enemy camp. So this was a test that God was giving the Israelite army. If you got down all, on all fours on your hands and knees and you drank water like a dog would drink water from a stream, that means to do so, you would have to take your eye off the enemy to get your own physical need met. But if you got down on one knee and you put one hand on the sword and you took the water from the stream in your hand to your mouth, that meant you were able to meet your need while at the same time not taking your eye off the enemy. Now here's the point. God wants to know how many of us are serious about the battle that we face. There are plenty of people who are not serious about the battle. Even though the battle belongs to God, even though the victory rests with Him, He wants you in the battle only if you're serious about what is taking place. Only if you are more interested on accomplishing His purposes in your life than getting your own physical need met. This is such a crucial thing. Every single day of our lives is a life, a chance at life and living to glorify God, to deny ourselves in order that we may win a greater victory. But we have to understand there are plenty of people in the battle that are not serious about it. When self-denial is on the table, man, we run, we bolt. So the question comes, you wanna live the wild life, one of the questions you have to ask is what sacrifices are you making in your life for the greater good? What are you giving up that you love for something that you love even more? Because if you do that, there will be disciplines associated with your life. But there's something else here in this text. Do you realize that our response to seemingly insignificant tests will often be the determining factor of what God will ultimately do in our lives? This little test of going down to a spring and watching the way that you drink water reveals your heart, reveals what you're really about. And so God is watching the the miniature details of our lives because our response to seemingly insignificant tests will often be the determining factor of what God will do in our lives. You know, one of, the, one of my favorite philosophical conundrums is the statement that says, if a tree falls in the forest, but there's no one there to hear it, does it still make a noise? Another one said, I read this week said, if a tree falls in the forest and no one captures it on social media, does it even matter? <laughs> I thought that was cute. My very favorite one is if a man speaks in a forest and his wife is not there to hear him, is he still wrong? I love this philosophical conundrum. But in response to the original question, if a tree falls in the forest, but there's no one there to hear it, does it still make a noise? One man has written these words. There once was a man who said, God may think it exceedingly odd if he finds that this tree continues to be when there's no one about in the quad. Dear sir, your astonishment's odd. I'm always about in the quad. And that's why this tree will continue to be since observed by yours faithfully, God. The point is God sees everything. Of course the tree makes a noise. There's always someone there. God, including the way we respond to every event of our lives. Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. We'll have to leave it there for today. But Pastor Jeff has more to come in this message and in this series, more principles to learn from Gideon's life and actions. 
you gotta wake up and you gotta think, okay, whatever happens to me today, number one, I know that God is looking for opportunities to build something special in me. How will this equip me? Is this a training session? How should I respond? And second, God may ask me to do something that seems unreasonable, but I'm gonna trust and obey because His ways are the ways that lead to ultimate victories. Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.